0: Super grateful uh, for that. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. So if you want to go ahead and make your way there, and have a few things I want to share with you before we dive into Matthew 13 today. But what you saw with CityServe, just that's a glimpse of what is to come in the, the months ahead. COVID kind of kept us from doing some things last year that we hoped and prayed that we'd be able to do. Whether you know it or not, last year we had on the calendar, uh, on the, the, yeah, the calendar schedule more mission trips than we've ever had as a church go in one year. And uh, God had other plans, COVID came in and changed that, and so we're slowly starting to ramp that back up again, that that heartbeat to take the gospel to the neighborhoods and the nation. So we got two mission trips planned uh, this summer, one to Boston and one to Honduras, super excited about that. But we also have for our kids ministry sports camp, which is a great time for a week that kids from our community get to come, get to learn different sports, and also get to hear about Jesus Christ and his love for them. We have hundreds of kids from our community that come and take a part of sports camp, which is in June. But then for our students and our youth, we have I Love Cabarrus week, which is a sweet week where they get out and they serve our community in a number of different ways. And then in the evenings, they get to come back and hear the word of God preached and get to worship and sing to the Lord. So for that, for that week, we see us going out and serving through I Love Cabarrus. And then I know we just had a city serve yesterday. I know it. We got another one in August, Okay we got another one as school starts back. It's City Serve Kids, where we want to make sure kids have all that they need to start the school year. So we raise school supplies, we hand that out, and we get to love them and share the gospel. And so all of that to say there's a lot of great stuff going on right now for us to reach out to our neighborhoods and the nations. And I mentioned that to you because that's all in the next few months of the summer. But just over the last several years as a church, what we've found is that our, our giving, our generosity takes a, a huge dip during the summer months, from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Our giving decreases, our generosity decreases, and yet our ministry increases. And so what I want to do this summer is set a challenge before us as a church called Reach. You'll see the picture on the screen. I want us to reach deep so that the gospel can go far. I want us to reach deep so the gospel can go far. Church family, we need about uh, $18,000 a week in order to do the ministry and the mission that Christ has called us to, and my heartbeat and desire is as we do these ministries through the summer, that we wouldn't be trying to trim back and cut in order to stay within our budget. I would want these things to flourish, and so that our generosity could be consistent through the summer months, as they as it's been down in the past. And so, what this looks like for this Reach Mission uh, Reach Summer Giving Challenge is that from Memorial Day to Labor Day, we're asking you to be consistent and faithful. And you're giving to the mission and the, the, um, the love of Jesus Christ. And so, that's what we're going to do throughout the summer. We're going to bring this back up and just show where we are as a church. And we've been praying as a church, right? That God would protect us, provide for us, and propel us forward on mission for Him. So as He's propelling us forward on mission, let's pray that God would provide. Because uh, our, our vision only goes as far as our prayer and our generosity will take us. And so... You'll hear more about this in the days and weeks to come, but let's just go ahead and start praying that God would provide for us what we need for our summer months as we serve him in ministry and mission. Let me go ahead and pray, and then we'll dive into Matthew 13. Lord, we have prayed um, week in and week out that you would protect this church for your glory, that you would provide for this church, that your face would shine upon it. So that your gospel could go from neighborhoods to nations. And so, Lord, I pray as you propel propel us forward on mission for you, that we would live on mission. God, that we would give on mission. That we would find joy and excitement in taking part in what you've called us to take part in. So, Lord, help us to see what you're doing and then just to take part in what you've called us to take part in. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for how you love us, how you lead us, and how you guide us. And so, Lord, today I pray as we open up your word that you would lead us, that you would guide us. That over the next several minutes you would help us to see the truth from your word and that it would impact our lives for all of eternity. So, Lord, I pray now that you would open up our eyes to see the wonderful truths from your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 13. We've been going through this parable series which a parable is just a story that Jesus is sharing, or even people at that time, that would help a truth that's kind of cosmic truth way up here to get down into the ordinary, everyday life. And so all through Matthew 13, as we've been walking through this, Jesus has been saying one sermon that we've broken down into multiple sermons to explain what Jesus has been highlighting in Matthew 13. Next week we'll jump to the Gospel of Luke, but for today we'll be in Matthew 13, verse 44, and there's just two small parables I want us to read and to unpack this morning. So starting in verse 44, this is the word of God. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had. And bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Now these are the smallest parables that Jesus taught. I mean tiny, just a th- three verses in our Bible, but they are weighty. They have a lot of amazing, beautiful truth that I hope we can unpack today. So these tiny parables, I want us to grasp two main truths from this. And the first is this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is immensely valuable and for all people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is immensely valuable and for all people. And I'm using the gospel of Jesus to talk about the kingdom of heaven because they're used synonymous throughout the Bible. And we talked about it last week that a lot of times we think of a kingdom as specifically a period of time a reign or a place. And what we found out last week is it's about a person. It's about King Jesus and him establishing his reign through all of eternity. So when we talk about the gospel it's synonymous for the kingdom of heaven this morning. But this kingdom of heaven, Jesus highlights through both of these parables the immense value, and weight of this kingdom of heaven, of this gospel of Jesus. And first he talks about it in the form of treasure. He says the kingdom of heaven is like treasure that's hidden in a field. Now we hear that word treasure and what probably comes to our mind is maybe pirates and the treasure that they would have in a treasure chest, right, gold and valuable things. Or maybe you think about a movie. Maybe you think about National Treasurer with Nick Cage who's running around from place to place and moving bricks and trying to find this Hidden treasure, right? That's somewhere there. Well, those those things that come up in our mind of wealth and value, whether it's gold or a, a treasure hunt, like that's what Jesus wants us to think about in this moment. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a great treasure. This is something that's something extremely wealthy and valuable. It has great worth. He's like the kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a treasure. And what happens to this man in the first parable? In our heart of hearts, in our heart of hearts, we all want to happen. Like, what happens in this parable, we want to happen to us. We dream about it. We remember it when it does happen. I mean, probably three decades ago, I can still remember this. It's three decades ago, roughly. I went up to uh, Washington, D.C., and at one of the monuments there, uh, on the ground, there was a $20 bill. And I see that $20 bill, and I'm like, yes, $20, like, scoop. like scoop that thing up, put it in my pocket. And still to this day, I don't even remember the memorial site, like, what we were looking at, but I remember the $20 that I found, right, because I found treasure, like, as a... Seven-year-old or whatever, like, finding $20 is a big deal. I mean, we, we have a whole industry of metal detectors that people have because they hope to live out this moment where this guy finds treasure. Like, we do, like, you guys know what I'm talking about. When you go to the beach, there's people that walk down the beach and they, like, scan the beach or people that randomly walk through the park. Maybe that's you. I don't know. That's okay. I mean, I just, I've always wondered, like, do they really find valuable stuff? Like, is it really worth their time? Like, how many quarters and nickels do they have to pick up to pay for that wand that they go back and forth, Right. Well, uh, this one guy in Great Britain, uh, Terry Herbert, you'll see him on the screen, he took his metal detector out and was walking around his yard and his neighbor's yard, true story, you can look it up online, he found $5 million worth of silver and gold in his neighbor's backyard, no joke, true story, Um, it was treasure from back in the 7th century that he happened to find in his neighbor's backyard, so those of you that think those people with the metal detectors are weird, like, joke's on you, according to Terry. Like, that guy's like, yeah, look at all this gold that I, that I found, these millions of dollars. And so we, we, we long for this. We hope what happens in this parable ultimately happens to us. Now, what happened to Terry finding that gold and what happened to me is I found $20. Like, that's not common for our day, right? Like, we don't stumble over treasure like that. But at Jesus' time, when he tells this story, it's actually a lot more common A lot more common than it is today, and here's why. Because at that time, when an army was going to come in and take over a city, I mean, you didn't have banks and you didn't have FDIC and all that kind of stuff to protect your money. So when you heard of an army coming in, you didn't know if you were going to win or you were going to lose. So you took your treasures and all your money and you put it in a little treasure chest, and then you went and you dug a a hole in a field and you put it in there. Like that was your FDIC at that time, right? That's how you hid and made sure your money was safe. Well, depending on how the the battle went, like many people who went and hid their money different places, they might have died in that battle or in that war. And so, yeah, people at that time, it wasn't that rare to stumble across treasure that's in a field. And that's what we see here in the story. He's like, hey, those of you that have experienced this, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. That you find this amazing treasure in a field. And the second word he talks about his kingdom, showing its value, is it's like a great pearl. Where it says a, a pearl of great value in verse 46. So we don't know how much this pearl was worth at this time. We don't know what the value was. It just says great value. But if you do a little research and you look back at that time, pearls were actually the rarest gem at that time in, in ancient culture. And if you think about it for a little bit, you can understand why. They didn't have diving equipment. They didn't have snorkels and all this kind of stuff to get down deep and to find these very valuable pearls. Today we do, but at that time they didn't. And so only the wealthiest of the wealthy are the ones that owned pearls. The queen of Egypt, roughly during this period of time, a little bit before this time, Cleopatra was known for her wealth, but her wealth was found primarily in pearls. And two of the pearls from her kingdom, even today, are worth about $4 billion dollars billion dollars it's amazing so when Jesus talks about pearls here he's saying hey the kingdom of heaven is valuable it's worth a lot far more than anything you could imagine and he talks about it in the sense of treasure he talks about it in the sense of pearls we have to understand and know that God's kingdom is a valuable kingdom that's what this parable is highlighting But it's also highlighting that even though it's valuable, it's not just for the wealthy. It's not for the wealthy. Let me show you where it is in this passage. It's in both of these. Think about it. You have one man who's probably a blue-collar person who's working in a field. Or even if he's not working in the field, he's walking in a field. And a wealthy person would not go into a field. Like you have other people that can do that. You can pay somebody to do that, right? But this man is in a field. He's a blue-collar person. And yet he finds this treasure. But then the second person Jesus talks about is this merchant. So you have this man you have this merchant. And the merchant would have been a wealthy person. He's, he's buying and trading pearls. Like This is the best of stocks, right? And he finds the treasure of the kingdom of heaven as well. And what Jesus is showing is that this treasure of heaven is for all people. For the the common person and the extremely wealthy person and everybody in between. It's for everybody. Everybody can come and see and hold this valuable treasure and this valuable kingdom. That's what this parable is showing us. Jesus wants us to see and understand that. But also, look at the two different people. There's similarities that they find treasure, but there's a lot of differences in here too. You have one person who's not looking for the treasure at all and finds it. And then you have one person who's scouring the seas trying to find the most valuable treasure that he can find. Now what Jesus is highlighting through this is that the gospel is for those who are looking and those who are not looking. The gospel are those that are seemingly near God and those who are far from God. You see this man who's in the field, he's not looking for treasure. He doesn't have his metal detector out and he's going around. Like he just, maybe he's working there and he's digging and then bam, he Hits with his shovel this treasure in this field. He's not looking for it. He's not thinking about treasure in this moment. He's probably thinking about, how do I get this job done so I can hurry up and go home? And yet he finds the kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven comes to those who aren't even looking for it. The church that I I used to work at, I was the small groups pastor there, and when I was learning my new role, I was trying to meet all the different people who led small groups. And while I went from coffee shop to coffee shop to meet all these different people, this one guy that I met, I sit down with, and I'm just hearing his story. Tell me about your family. Tell me about how you ended up at this church. Just tell me about your kids. Just learning a little bit of, of uh, this guy's life. Uh, we'll call him, we'll give him, call him Chaz, because that was his name. We'll call him Chaz, all right? So Chaz is sharing with me over coffee his, his life and his story. And in there he tells how he came um, to know and to love and to ultimately value Jesus. And he said, Ryan, what I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to probably laugh and think that it's not true. But like my family was a part of the mob. He's like, I'm not talking about like what you would imagine a mob to be, like the legit mob. Uh, He's like, I was from up north and like we stole things. I knew people that murdered other people. Like this was the world that I grew up in. And he said, but every Christmas and every Easter, we would always go to church, right? Like, it didn't matter how bad we were uh, morally, we would still always go to church at Christmas and Easter and then go eat with Grandma afterwards. Like, that's what we did. And he said, and my story, Ryan, proves that I wasn't looking for God, and yet God came looking for me. Because he said, I wasn't thinking about Jesus. I I I didn't care about him. I was living my life, and there was money to be made, and My life revolved around this world that I grew up in. And Jesus, through the the tiny seeds that were planted through Christmas and Easter, in this person's life, Chaz, changed him. Drastically changed him. He's like, Ryan, I wasn't looking for God, but God came looking for me and he rescued me. His story is like the story of this man who was out in the field just digging, not looking, just doing his everyday task, an ordinary person. And then he found the glory of Jesus Christ, the worth of it, and said, I want that. And now this man is leading a small group to other Christians and leading them in the word. God changed and transformed his life. And then you have in the second parable a man who's searching for this treasure. He wants to find this treasure. This is somebody who would be more near to the kingdom of God, near to the gospel. In the sense that this could be somebody that grew up around the church. Maybe their parents shared the gospel with them and they heard it day in and day out for for years. Or they came here and they heard somebody preach a message at some point. So they've heard it, they've been around it, and they've believed. The kingdom of heaven comes to people like that too. Both extremes. It's for the rich and for the poor. It's for those far from God and for those near to God. This is what... Jesus is saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, you might hear that and see that in this parable and think, okay, Ryan, if if the kingdom of heaven is really that valuable, if it really is like treasure, and it really is like this great pearl, then why do so many people miss it? Like, why is there so many people that don't grasp it or understand it or aren't a part of the kingdom? Well, remember, like I said, Matthew 13 is one sermon from Jesus. And at the beginning of Matthew 13, where this parable series started, you can go back online and listen to it on iTunes if you missed it. But Jesus tells them, hey, the kingdom of heaven comes and it's sown out to all these different people in the world. And some people hear it and just like, I don't have time for that. I'm moving on. Some people hear it and they receive it with joy and they're like, this is great, this is amazing. And then pain and suffering enters in their life, and they abandon it. Because they're like, well, I was only a part of this, Jesus, as long as you were blessing me and I got everything I wanted. All this pain has happened in my life, and so now I don't want anything to do with it. And then there's other people that just the cares of this life allow them to abandon this valuable kingdom. This is the riches and cares of this world in verse 22. Sometimes just the busyness of life makes us miss this immensely valuable kingdom that's for all people. Remember, Satan doesn't have to make you bad. He just has to make you busy. If you make you busy enough, then you will miss the kingdom of God. You will miss living for what is ultimately the most valuable thing that you can live for. And so for some of us, it's just a lack of thinking. We just don't think about how valuable this kingdom is. We don't know the worth of things. If we knew the worth of things, we would always grab the thing that's worthy of more. We would. If somebody came to you and said, I will trade you a million dollars for a five-dollar bill, none of us would be like, no, 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 I love my five-dollar bill. And my five-dollar bill is crisp. I could see Abraham Lincoln's beard. Like, it's great. Like, I, I love this five-dollar bill. And I'm going to hold on to this. You wouldn't turn away a million dollars for that. Why? Because a million dollars is worth so much more than that five. So when we abandon the gospel or ignore the gospel or get too busy, oftentimes it's because we forget what's most valuable in life. We hold on to our little things. We hold on to recreations instead of clinging to the kingdom of Christ. We hold on to to bitterness instead of clinging to the kingdom of Christ. We hold on to fleeting pleasures when there's eternal pleasure offered us. So we don't truly see the value. Or maybe we see the value a little bit, but because it seems so ordinary to us, we, we just kind of look past it. That's another reason why we miss the kingdom. It looks so ordinary. Like some of you have heard people explain the gospel to you, and you're like, wait a second. So you're telling me that all I have to do is just have faith and believe in Jesus. Yes. Wait, wait, wait. All I have to do is trust that he lived the life that I could not live. He died a death that I deserved, and then he rose from the grave, which I could not do. All I have to do is believe that and place my faith in that and, and, and follow him. That's all I have to do. Yes. Okay, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I, I need something. I need nine steps to enlightenment. If you can give me nine steps to do to get to enlightenment, like, then I'll feel better, right? But God's word is so simple, and there's something so beautiful about that treasure, because it's simple enough for a five-year-old to grasp and understand the kingdom of heaven and be saved. And yet in the Bible, it tells us that the angels look into the gospel with awe and wonder. Let that settle in for a minute. Angels, created beings, but have been here for thousands and thousands and thousands a year, continue to look back at the gospel and stand in awe. So for us to say, man, I need something deeper than the gospel. I need something better than the gospel. You're not getting the rich, deep value of the gospel. Angels have been looking at it for thousands of years, and they still stand in awe of it. And so should we. Yes, it's simple enough for a five-year-old to understand, but it's glorious enough for angels to stand in awe forever. And so don't let the ordinary package of a baby in a manger pull you away from believing in the gospel. Don't let the simple truth of, like, it's Christ and what he did and not what I did, that saves me. Yes, don't let that ordinary package keep you from trusting in the immense value of the gospel. I mean, for some of you, it's not even just that the message is ordinary. Maybe you're like, the message is actually pretty good. But the messengers, nah, those are are ordinary people. Like, some of you even right now are hearing the gospel, but you can't get over the person's haircut in front of you. Like you're like, man, I saw a dude's shoes when he walked in. And like, dude, that's weird. There's some weird people in here. And you can't get past the weirdness of those that are following Christ, the oddities, the ordinariness of the people. That you're like, man, there's no way that this gospel message can't be legit, can be real. That's that's foolish thinking. But our culture loves to look at the surface level of everything. We're superficial. And if you're going to enter in the kingdom of God, you're going to have to look past the surface to see the heart and the riches of it. Think about this man that bought a field. He comes to the kingdom of God. He finds this treasure. and He goes and he buys this land. How many people would have looked at him and said, you're a fool. That's just an ordinary field. Like that's on the edges of the town. Nobody wants that ordinary, dusty, dirty field. And he's like, no, I do. Because I see what's underneath the surface. I see something much richer than what anybody else has ever seen. You're only looking at the surface, just wait, just wait. I'm going to show you something immensely valuable that you don't even know is there yet. So if you're going to come into the kingdom of heaven, you're going to have to let go of some of these things. You just are. You're going to have to release those and say, God, I see you as more valuable. I see the the rich beauty in the ordinary. This is how God's kingdom works. This is what he does. We have to grasp these things and see these things. And the second truth I want us to see in, in these parables, these two short parables, is the gospel of Jesus is deserving of total investment. Not partial, not half-hearted, a total investment. And here's why. The value you place on something is shown by what you're willing to give up for it. Listen to that again. The value that you place on something is shown by what you're willing to give up for it. As you look at this passage, you see these people who see something that's of immense value and they're willing to give up everything for it. Everything. So if you're looking at them and you're like, how much do you value that feel? How much do you value that pearl? With everything. And he's like, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. When you see something, you're like, I'm willing to give up everything for that. Now the question I'm asking and maybe you're asking is, how in the world do people get to this point? Like, how in the world did these people get to the point where they're willing to give up everything in order to have this? Well, there's, it's because there was already an emotional exchange long before there was a material exchange. They fell in love with that thing long before they gave up everything for it. I mean, the man finds this field and then he goes and he sells everything in order to buy it. This other person finds pearls, and he's willing to to give up everything in order to buy it. They already saw it. They saw the worth of it, and they're like, yes, I want that, and I'll give up everything for that. And think about it. This wasn't a quick exchange for them. If you lived out these parables, right, they see the value in it, and then they're willing to go sell everything that they have. Like, it would have taken time to liquidate all the things that they had. I mean, but at the same time, they're like, I'm willing to do it. Even as much joy as all these things bring me, I will sell them all in order to have what's best. That's where they are. I mean, everything that they've, they're, they're giving up for this, this kingdom of heaven, this beautiful, valuable thing, they're like, yeah, it used to give me joy, but this is better. I mean, the house that they bought, assuming that both of them had homes, the merchant most certainly did with the wealth he had. He's like, I'll sell it. I'll sell it. I'll give it up. Hey, anybody want this furniture? I I love this couch, I sit in it all the time, but like, I'm getting rid of it. Like, what? All those things, the the hobbies that you have, I mean, you're getting rid of your golf clubs, you're selling all these things, like, what are you you doing? (laughs) Man, I found something that's worth way more than all that I have in this life. You see, their heart was already drawn to loving this thing more than everything that they already had. And so they look at it and they're like, I'll get rid of everything in order to obtain this. They loved it more. They had joy in it. I mean did you see that? They have joy in giving up these things. Look at verse 44, the very last sentence: "Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. These people aren't begrudgingly selling their, their stuff or giving it away. They're doing it with joy. This is so important for us to grasp. So important. Because the man has joy selling everything that that he has because he knows what he's gaining in return. This this person who's been searching for pearls and probably has a lot of his own pearls is saying, I'll I'll, I'll trade the many for the one because he knows this one's so much better than all the other ones. He's willing to give it all away. And they do it with great joy. I mean, if I were to tell you today that you were going to lose everything, everything that you had, I mean, how many of you would walk out of here with joy? Like, yes, I'm going to lose my house and lose my car and I'm going to lose all this stuff. Who does that? Somebody who knows that they're gaining something worth far more than what they already have. And that's what both the merchant and the man realize. Man, I will give up everything with joy. I'm gaining something better. Now let me ask you this. I legitimately want you to think about this. Like, If you had to describe how you discovered the kingdom of God, how would you describe it? If you had to describe how you discovered the kingdom of God, how would you describe it? Jesus is describing it as a man finding great treasure, selling all he has. A merchant who... Has some pearls, but sees a pearl of great value and gives everything up. And they do it with joy. I think for many of us, if we had to describe the kingdom of God, we'd say something like, well, when I discovered the kingdom of God, it was like a to-do list for me. Like I had to do all these different things and just it's a never-ending list. Like do this, do this, do this, do this. Oh, that's what the kingdom of God is like, a to-do list that never ends. Or the kingdom of God is like a ball and chain. Like I have to strap it on so I don't go to hell, but like man I drag it around my whole life and like dude, it's just it just drags me down I mean if that's how you describe coming to find the kingdom of God, then you've missed what Jesus is saying you've missed what the kingdom of heaven is truly like. I mean some of you right now think that God is mad at you because you want to be happy I mean even some of our youth right now you're thinking God or maybe my parents are saying i just need to give up my happiness and things that make me happy so that i can have heaven and gosh i guess i'll be miserable in this life so that i can have heaven eternally so i don't go to hell so yes i guess i'll strap on the ball and the chain and live my life in order to to not go to hell but i'll never be happy that is not what jesus is saying in this passage these people have joy they have joy finding the kingdom of heaven i mean Imagine this. Imagine we could rewind time. I'm standing there at the altar, uh, marrying my wife, Lori. And, uh, and so we're looking at each other, and we're exchanging vows, and the pastor's there, the congregation's out there. And my wife has written her own vows. She's going to make her vows to me in front of this pastor and God and everybody else. And she says, I vow to forsake happiness and all romance and physical pleasure in order to take Ryan as my husband. Like imagine if that happened. I would be like, whoa, time out, time out, time out, time out, time out. No, 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 no. I'm not looking for you to forsake those things for me. I'm looking for you to find those things in me. And it's the same for God. God commands us to find joy. He does. Psalm 37 says, delight yourself in the Lord. Psalm 4 says that, That he has more joy than people have in all their wealth and riches and material things. Everything the world has to offer, he has more joy in the Lord. So God isn't saying give up your happiness so you can come to me and be miserable. This parable is saying no, 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 no. Come to me and find ultimate joy. You See, God isn't upset with us because we want to be happy. He's upset with us because we're trying to find happiness in things that won't satisfy us. That's why God's upset. We're hoping all these things in the world are going to satisfy us. And God's like, you're trying to find it apart from me. You see, we want the joy of the kingdom of Christ, but we don't want the king. And so we're like, no, 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 we're going to do it on our own. We're going to try to find it on our own. And God's saying, no, you want great joy. It's, it's found in the kingdom of God. God isn't telling us to give up happiness. He's telling us to find happiness in him. This is what Christ is calling you and I to do. Let me close with this story. This several weeks ago, I was... Um, trolling through Instagram, and I came across um, one of the pastors I follow, Mark Dever, and and this was recent, not too long ago, but he had gone to Cairo, Egypt, and it was fascinating over there, the pictures he posted were of all the pyramids, things that you think about when you go to Egypt, Um, and he said, I saw a lot of amazing tombs while I was in Egypt, but the last one I saw was the most impressive, and this was the last picture that he put on his Instagram account, so you have all these tombs and Sphinx and things like that, and then it ends with this tomb. And that's all it was, like no explanation, and I'm like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of words. Like, what, what is that? And it's a tombstone for a man named William Borden. Now, I didn't know who he was. You might know who he was. I, I, I didn't. But he lived in the early 1900s, and his family started uh, Borden Milk Company. Still around today. I mean, it's a very wealthy company. And while William was uh, at school at Yale... He came to hear the gospel and to see its immense worth. And so he saw the worth of the gospel and he got his Bible. And in the front of his Bible, what William wrote was man, there's no rivals. There's no rivals. He wrote it in the front of his Bible because he said, I see what this passage is saying, the immense worth of Christ, and there can be no rivals compared to him. None. So he wrote no rivals. But he didn't just see the value of the gospel. He saw it was for all people. So he's like, there's people around the world that do not know Jesus, and I want to take the gospel to them. And so he decided at the age of 25, I'm going to go to Cairo, Egypt, and I'm going to share the gospel with Muslims because they haven't heard about Jesus, and I want them to hear about Jesus. And his family basically called him a fool. They're like, you're a fool. Like, you have, you're the heir apparent to this multi-million dollar company, and you're going to leave it all behind and go over to where nobody knows you? And he said, yeah, I am. And he wrote in the front of his bible that there's no refusals there's no refusals that if jesus truly is the lord of my life then what he calls me to do i'm going to do even if that costs me millions of dollars in my family's company there'll be no refusal so he goes and he carries the gospel to muslims in egypt and he wasn't there very long just a few months of zealously serving and sharing the gospel and telling people this good news, of this valuable kingdom that's for all people. And he contracted spinal meningitis. And while he was on his deathbed, somebody came to him and said, man, you only here for a few months. Like, you should have stayed home. You're 25 years old. Do you have any regrets on how you live your life? He said, no, I have. I got no regrets. So in the front of his Bible... He wrote the third thing, no regrets, no rivals, no refusals, no regrets. And that's the tombstone that you just saw. A man who died there, serving the Lord, giving it all because he saw its immense worth and value. And you need to hear that's how we become Christians. That we look at our life and we say, Jesus, we see you and what you have done for us. There will be no rivals. You are Lord of my life. And so anything you ask me to do, I will do. There will be no refusals. I will release everything to you. Anything you ask, I will give. And I promise you, if you do that, you will have no regrets for all of eternity. William Borden saw that. We need to see that. No rivals, no refusals, no regrets. Bow your heads with me. Today I want us to do something uh, tangible in response to this message. We don't always do something tangible like this, but I would say if you're holding something in your hand, whether it's uh, your phone or your Bible or your purse or whatever, just set that uh, in the chair beside you or below you by your feet and just take your, your hands, maybe put them out on your knees or something like that, and just keep them closed for a second. I want us to remember the truths of this parable, what Christ is saying. Some of us have been holding on to things and seeing the worth of them as more than the worth of Christ. And maybe today through these two small parables, you have found and seen the great worth of Christ. And I would say today, if um, if you've been holding on to you be in control, You, you want God to be your life coach, but not your Lord, and you're like, no, I want you to be my Lord. I don't want there to be any rivals in my life. Then pray today that you would surrender everything to God, that you would open up your hands. And just, that's what I ask you to do, physically open up your hands right now to say, God, I'm gonna release these things and I'm gonna let these things go and I'm gonna trust and lean on you. And for the, the Christian in the room, maybe right now we're we're holding on to um, bitterness and, and unforgiveness in our hearts. And what we need to do right now is just say, God, I'm gonna let those things go. I'm gonna forgive as you have forgiven me. And right now you just need to open, just open your hands and say, God, I'm giving that to you. Or maybe you're holding on to some, some pleasures in this world, some temporal pre- pleasures, and you're letting go of the eternal pleasures. And right now you just need to open your hands and say, God right now, i that's what I want to do. I want to surrender it to you. I want to release it to you. And so just in a, in a physical way, I'm opening up my hands. That's what we do when we worship. When we raise our hands, we're saying we surrender it all to you, that you are the Lord who is strong and mighty and worthy of all things. Nobody's looking around and so as you do that, just pray and Hope your hands is that visible sign to say, God, your kingdom is of immense value. And so there will be no rivals in my life. There'll be no refusals. And as we do that, know that there will be no regrets for all of eternity. Christ, we thank you that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those who weren't looking for you, you came looking for us. Those who were near to you and hearing the gospel, you still came to seek and to save. God, for the the rich and the poor, you you came for them all to offer them this valuable gospel that they would believe. And so, God, we we praise you for the salvation that you give us or we look to you and open our hands today and say we surrender all to you because you are great and you are worthy. And we choose to worship and praise you today. God, thank you for being worthy. It is you that we praise and pray. church family, let's stand now. We're going to sing two songs. One about the great worth of our God and two about us choosing to worship Him. So let's respond and worship.